Um, and so I have a funny story. Um, Tom was over here. This is, um, we have Tom Hutchinson for today's episode. Yay. And Tom was actually visiting, working with the Dublin Silver Band and Dublin Metro and Dublin Youth Brass Band. Um, what, like a month and a half ago? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, we... (laughs) He must have made a huge impression on our on our boys because um, we just got some guinea pigs the other day and um, we got two of them. They're little tiny guinea pigs. And um, we asked the boys what they wanted to name their guinea pigs and they want two guinea pigs named Tom. No way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is possibly one of the greatest honors that i've ever ever been given that that's 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 so sweet <laughs> are they are they both named tom they want them both to be named tom now we have we have directed them towards you know um tom and hutch or what maybe yeah. <laughs> selecting some other names especially since they're both girls they're they're sisters um so i think uh we have we have charlotte and emily is my favorite uh too but um my my oldest wants to name one marble and my youngest wants to name one uh rainbow so i have a feeling that i'm going to lose out because kids naming pets you know i just want to petition no more like plaques of appreciation now everybody just gets guinea pigs at this point <laughs> right. Instead of having this thing that you're not going to put on your wall here's a burden uh for you to take care of oh guinea pigs they, you can name them anything they don't come when you call them so it doesn't matter <laughs> i think given the names that you just read out there tom seems quite a normal name for a pet anyway so think yeah. lucky, Amy. See, this is, right this is where we fall into the situation where we're going to have like that one guinea pig aficionado who's going to come in and be like well actually tony guinea pigs are quite smart and they will call when you if they've been trained to do so like i'm always afraid to have absolutes on here because you'll find that person on the internet who knows otherwise we we did have yeah. a guinea pig that came um, for certain that that would come when we had um, certain noises like if we opened if we were letting her run around and we opened the cage door and it made that little ping sound she would come and she was potty trained um, very well trained uh, but um, but we did have a guinea pig that was very uh, really trained uh, but yeah she never came when she was when she was called so. I don't know. If, if, if we're on the topic to, topic of pets, I just should, should tell you quickly, I've only ever had one pet, and that was a, a goldfish that we won at the Summer Fate. Uh, my sister also won one as well. Um, but unfortunately, I, I found it dead on the way to school. My mum had uh, <laughs> found this uh, this goldfish. Uh, it, it passed away overnight. I was put it in like a, a, a see-through uh, plastic sandwich bag, put it on top of the wheelie bin. The men had taken the wheelie bin away, but the fish had dropped out of, off the top. Um, and I walked past it on the way to school, and there's a little goldie lying. Oh my gosh! Fr- whatever. Fine in the summer that. heat. <laughs> how, how long? How long of a life did Goldie have? Oh yeah, a few months. That's, a few that's months. not bad. I yeah. I uh had, when I was doing the youth band many years ago, they got me a um a pet. They got me a fish. I'm like, I don't want a pet. That's something I have to take care of. And they got me a fish. And I was like, oh, it'll live a couple of weeks, knowing me. 
It lived for three years. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I had to keep the thing for three years. So, so this being a uh, this being a brass band, uh, use one of the most awkward yeah. transitions ever because we were we sharing stories we about when we were kids, and we lost you during the subject of your. Sentence. We lost you during that, whatever it was. <laughs> it, it, so the, it was the, the point universe being. The, the point being, I'm trying to trying right, to bring, the universe bring us is saying back. this is not a brass band around. podcast. This is a guinea pig contest or con uh, brass pig contest. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> guinea pig contest. I would like to see a guinea pig contest, but anyway, so so um, awkward transition warning. But um, so when we were when we were when I knew that we were going to be bringing Tom on, um, Tom and I. I don't think I really knew you, knew you when we were at the RNCM. I knew you were there. You had separate friends and we just didn't, our paths didn't cross very much. But um, when I was in the UK, one thing culturally that kind of struck me was that kids seemed to start learning um, their musical instruments younger than they do in the US. So I looked up some, some statistics. I'm not going to bring them up yet, but I think that they're kind of cool. Because uh, I'm a nerd like that. Um, but I did want to kind of hear about your experience in starting to play. And I think the American and maybe Canadian listeners would find that to be interesting because I think it's probably a little bit different than in the US. Sure. Well, I think you're absolutely right, Amy, that um, uh, a lot of players in the UK start at a young age. But I think given um, my own personal um, I guess development it was probably quite late because I didn't start until the age of nine and when I look at friends like Phil Cobb for example he had an instrument in his hand at the age of three so I think um, uh, there's nothing wrong with starting at the age of nine I think that the reason my parents wanted to keep me um, back from playing was because uh, you know my, my second teeth had formed uh, around about then and I wasn't losing as many so it seemed like a, a sensible time but um, I, I think what, what really started it off I guess um, to some degree um, I was kind of destined to have some kind of music in me because both of my fathers that have been in my life, and I'll explain that, uh, were both music musicians and cornet or tr and trumpet players. Um, so my father passed away when I was nearly five years old, but he was a, a trumpet player, um, and I've actually found uh, some of his old grade exams. I'm not, I, I don't think they were, he, he, he didn't do very well in the grades that I saw at least anyway. <laughs> but he was a, he was a keen trumpet player, um, um, and and obviously he passed away. Uh, my mum then remarried uh, three years later. Um, a gentleman who who um, is now my stepdad, Mike, uh, and he was in the local brass band Stannington. Uh, he actually knew my father because they used to watch Sheffield Wednesday together, uh, the football. Um, uh, and that's soccer, by the way, for your American and Canadian fan, uh, listeners. Um, but yeah, so they, they, they sort of knew each other and um, and uh, my, my, my stepdad took me down to the local band or, or rather it was Remembrance Service uh, that I remember uh, most vividly. And that was when the band marched through the village. Um, the, the march that always sticks out that really sort of got, got me, and it still does every time I listen to it, was uh, Voice of the Guns by uh, Kenneth J. Alfred, I think it is. Um, uh, and 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 after that, I just kind of said, well, I, 
I, I had my my real father's trumpet and so I played a few notes and and I really sort of enjoyed it and, and wanted to get lessons so my 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 parents sort of my stepdad and my mum they arranged for me to have uh, lessons at my local school um so my first ever brass teacher uh, and those brass band aficionados out there will know this name um it meant nothing to me really at the time other than he was the person on brass off playing trombone but it was Jonathan Beatty and he was the um, the, the the we call we call in the UK peripatetic teacher at my local school. So uh, Jonathan Beatty was for many years the solo trombone player of Grimethorpe Colliery when they were really at their, their peak in the in the nineties, and um, that was incredible, of course, to have uh, 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 Mister Beatty as he was called back then. Um, there was a school band with a, a lady called Pam Hansen uh, who who took us to m- local music competitions. So um, my parents always pushed me. Um, but when uh, Mister Beatty sort of went elsewhere to a different school, um, I started having lessons. with the gentleman called um, Roy Hartley, uh, and Roy had had a, a couple of good students um, in the area too. Had a, couple, a good couple of years with Roy again. Did loads of uh, competitions, um, and then went on to uh, Richard Marshall. Roy, Roy sadly passed away. He was an elderly gentleman, and then went on to Richard Marshall. He was recommended to us, uh, and Richard was, I guess, quite young at the time, probably only 25, 26 um maybe even younger uh, and i used to have lessons in the the porter cabin next to the old grimethorpe colliery band room and it, i used to love going to the grimethorpe uh band room because you would go you go i mean i love brass off i still do but you would see all of the the um the, the sort of the monuments and you know the, 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 uh, what was the fish and chip shop called can anyone remember can anyone help me out oh, uh, in, in cod we trust that was it so you'd pass oh. that on, on the way and it was like wow this uh, it's like being in a film set so um but yeah uh, so i had lessons with richard um, um and during this time I, I started with the Stanningston brass band uh, and then went to the Barnes and Building Society uh, band on principle they were like a first section band that was when I was about 13 um and then that was around the time when I had lessons with Richard joined the National Youth Band uh, and then went to, to Rothwell Temperance when I was almost 16 on principle stayed there for a few years uh, and then went to University of Manchester which is of course where, where we first met Amy um, I was there for four years, um, and during that time, I played with Black Dyke um, on solo cornet and, and Repiano cornet. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I, I you know, up until I guess that's kind of halfway in my my playing point in career. I can't believe I've been in Corey for thirteen years, but I guess we'll come on to that. But that's really how I got started. So, you know, both of um, of my fathers have have had uh, a lot of musical influence and and still continue to to do so. Um, so, um, yeah, it was my my mum, by the way, is tone deaf so uh, I definitely didn't get any musical (laughs) (laughs) so like what I what I thought was interesting because I I definitely picked up on on a lot of stories that are that are a lot closer to yours as you know starting playing earlier um and I I think that probably the majority of band band instrument students at least in the United States probably start when they're 10 or 11 um and in the U.S., we almost we almost treat it like you can't start any earlier. Um, and so I thought it was really interesting because I looked up I looked up on that ABRSM um, and YouGov. So ABRSM is some UK stats, and YouGov is some some American stats. And I looked up that on average, uh, kids in the UK start a musical instrument at the age of seven point six. So that's all that's all musical instruments. So I would imagine 
you know, violin and piano are probably at the younger end. Um, and maybe some, some band type instruments are on like the older end, but then you contrast that with the American stats, um, that aren't quite as specific, but it says 48% start between six and 10 and 33% start between 11 and 17. So obviously a lot older than kids in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I guess my 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 argument would be what 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 does that prove in the long run? Do you have any sort of stats which say which say that really the players in the UK are better than the ones in the US? I think that I think what what we do have is a history of tradition and and the fact that most villages in the UK have got a brass band, and then I would say at least probably close to fifty percent of those have some kind of youth setup. Um, and I think everyone realizes um, that you you can't have a future in in brass banding without bringing the youth through. Um, and it's like a, it's like a, a soccer team, right? You, you've got a reserve and you've got a youth team, so that hopefully you you hope one day that your youth players will come through and, and, and come good for you in the in in the first team. Not all do, just like in brass bands. But I think that culture of having uh, a lot of youth bands is really important. Um, and, and it's funny that. In the UK, some people will tell you that that um, you know brass bands are diminishing and that um, there's not enough young young players about. But when I adjudicate at youth championships and and I see some of the work that's done in the the youth setups, including the youth band of Great Britain and so forth, it's incredible. And there's so many opportunities for these kids um, to play these days, um, and that's only going to get greater. So I think that it's um, I think partly tradition for for sure, um, but yeah, maybe a sense of um you know wanting to, to get these kids started younger and, and don't forget that with tradition comes age so you know for example i don't know if you, your parents taught you to play amy but um you know you'll certainly uh, introduce musical instruments to your children at a much younger age um so you, mm-hmm. you, you know, same with me i mean my mum wouldn't have never taught me to play trumpet um but you know once i'd got my teeth and my stepdad showed me at the age of nine he probably would have done that a bit earlier had he been in my life i don't, I don't know i'm not sure so uh, everyone's different of course but i think that 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 history of generations and generations of brass players um definitely means that you know it's it's more available to to to, to people at a younger age I I wonder if my my personal takeaway from this, it seems like in the U.S. at least, um, we connect um, learning an instrument so much with school because kids wait until usually fifth grade. Some start in fourth grade, some start in sixth grade, but most start in fifth and they start they start in school and fewer students in the U.S. get lessons outside of school. And so they are learning music in school. They don't have any participation outside of school. And then guess what happens when they graduate from high school if they're not going to be a music major? They put yeah. that instrument in the case. And it's sad. Every every like late spring, early summer, you see on like the local listings online, all of these band instruments up for sale. And you're like, every time I see those, you know, it's just like, oh, that's a kid who probably is graduating and is getting rid of their instrument because they're not in school anymore. So why play that clarinet or whatever? Yeah. Um, but so, I, yeah, I it, saw so much lifelong playing in the UK. Yeah, it seems that that band and learning music is more of a community type of building thing rather than a, a you learn music type of thing. They do it because of the social aspects of being in the band. 
and only a small few or handful actually achieve high quality music education. One of the greatest uh, qualities I think I, I have is the ability to be able to speak to anyone of any kind and any age. And that has only come through being in a brass band. Because I, I mean, my memory at the age of 12 was looking around and thinking, well, she's 80, he's 45, he's, you know, it's just like, the, the, you know, the person next to me is 17. So you're having to deal with lots of different characters and different different people. And and Brass Bands gave me that that platform and gives it, not just me, gives us that, that opportunity. Uh, and it really is a, a massive education. Yeah, well, I think, if you think, go ahead. This, yeah, if you think in the States, you know, of the, the where people are picking up instruments younger, um, the two that come to mind is one in the Salvation Army. You know, they're picking up mm-hmm. cornets super, super early. And then the other one is an orchestra. But then you have the socioeconomic differential of, of people who were able to get into community orchestra or like community conservatories at the age of five, six. Or you have, you know, the blockage of having to be involved in a particular religion in order to be involved with the Salvation Army and all that sort of a thing. Um, it is such an academic hole here. And we actually don't even consider community music really until after grad, post grad. Like you have to, and like even then, like we have, there are people I'm sure in all of our bands who like are, were afraid to join even just like, you know, a put on community band because they're like, oh, well, I haven't, you know, I'm not that good. I don't have a music degree or whatever. And, um, you know, cause you've got people with doctorates who don't have full-time jobs sitting in community bands, <laughs> you know? And that's just kind of, Hey, 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 is there is there something wrong with that, Aaron? No, I'm just kidding. I, I mean, pot, kettle, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, and, and the, a lot of the community bands that are available in the United States, um, my first community band that I played in, I just, I auditioned for, for the local university band and they, they allowed community members to, to fill in their spots. So when I was in high school, I auditioned for that. So that was my first experience at probably... 15 um, was playing in the university band. Um, so growing up, we didn't really have those community bands. And so I wonder, this is this is the nerd in me. I wonder with brass band expanding so quickly around the United States, if if we were to revisit this question in 20 years, if we would see an uptick in people um, becoming more involved in community playing and, and more lifelong uh, playing. Because I think when you see, as you said, Tom, like when you're when you're in a community band, whether that's a wind band or a brass band, and you see those people who are older playing, it plants this idea in your mind that that this is a possibility, that when I graduate from high school and I don't want to be a music major and pursue this professionally, I have an option. I can keep playing. That, that, that's you've hit the nail on the head, really, because I mean, if you look at the statistics that music college gives you, uh, it's about five percent of professional musicians that, that go through college come out and, and actually make it as a professional musician. I mean, you could you could go on to talk about what a professional musician is, but uh, no, you're absolutely right. The ability to play at a high level, um, uh, yet it'd still be amateur. I mean, um, Nick Charles, the conductor of Black Dyke Band, always used to say that it was like uh, Olympians. I mean, we were like Olympians in that, you know, completely amateur, but you, you compete in and playing at some of the highest levels. 
Um, so yeah, I, I think yeah, it's just it's just huge. And, and also, um, I got to say that some some people in the UK, and, and and this is this is changing, but some people in the UK do turn their noses up to to brass bands. Um, but if you look at some of the the players that are coming out of of bands and going into some of the top seats in the orchestra world, orchestral world, excuse me, that they're, they're all from brass band backgrounds. So um, you know, it's churning out some unbelievable players. Um, uh, in the orchestral world, and yeah, it's, it's something that should be shouted at, not not diminished. And it does, it does seem interesting to me. Sorry, uh, Amy. It seems interesting to me that you know there would be orchestral musicians that would th- look down on the brass band when so many of the the top orchestral trumpet players, Maurice Murphy, Harry Mortimer, you know, were the some of the premier players, and they all have major brass band backgrounds. So it seems interesting that there would be that kind of, oh, brass bands, you know, when it's literally the best training ground you could have to be a brass player. No, absolutely, and it's, I think that's just a sign of the times and how 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 um, we 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 think about things. And it's interesting. I was reading a letter actually that was sent by Herbert Clark to a, a I guess a sort of a student of his, uh, and he was describing Herbert Clark was describing jazz as the devil's music. And uh, you know, I think if he looked back now and saw some of the players that had come out, um, yeah, he, he, yeah, he, he would obviously change his views. But um, yeah, it's just it's just changing people's way of thinking, and, and I guess some of the old guards that think that you should play with no vibrato straight very german in style then you know that's 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 the only way but you know there's there's definitely more ways of playing a trumpet than than that and i think that the um the british style is is, is almost leading the way really we've got some amazing orchestral players um and um and certainly in, in the brass band world but you know other countries are catching catching us up um and not to sort of divert but we, we look at some of the european countries um switzerland in particular norway have always had a strong brass band um uh, culture but yourselves america and canada it, it is growing um japan as well uh, yeah I, you say you meant interesting interesting you mentioned that 20 years because i'd love to see what a lot of countries would look like in 20 years with 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 the, with the brass band setup it's um yeah it's going to be intriguing and you're doing a lot with uh youth brass bands um i you're working with the swift the swiss youth brass band and national children's brass band of great britain you want to talk about that a bit <laughs> Yeah, certainly. Well, um, the Swiss Youth Band uh, is uh, well. It'll be the first time that I've ever done that. Um, so I'm working as a, a tutor and as a soloist. Um, that'd be really nice. Um, and then the the children's band is really the one that I've had uh, an uh, association with for for many years. As I mentioned, I was a member of the National Youth Brass Band as a as a player from the age of uh, fourteen to eighteen. Um, so something that's, that's quite dear to me. Um, and then to have been asked back as a tutor uh, every year, either on the children's band or the the, the youth band so the, not the adult band but the older band uh, is is just it's just lovely because you get to spend time with these youngsters and and actually see their progression year on year i mean we had a concert at the weekend um in melton mowbray which is like the home of the pork pie i don't know if you, you guys know that but uh it was the first time the band had played there go on amy what do you say no i no i was just i was just gonna chuckle because it was it was as as recording a podcast sometimes if you don't know we mute ourselves when someone's talking so that we avoid any sort of like background noise and then you 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 kind of cracked a joke and and then we were like it was just it was 
silence. Oh, okay, so, silence. Yeah, you're gonna, I was going to like yeah. unmute and just be like, tee hee hee hee. And then no, and I, I thought you were going to tell me you've done the factory tour of the pot pies. And I, I have, I have, I have not. I have not. I was just going to contribute my my chuckle and then get out of the way so you can <laughs> some sitcom laughter in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at, at this concert in Melton Mowbray, we had uh, uh, we, we had an interval. So I went down to see a few people that I knew, uh, and in the wings were two lads um, that were now on the National Youth Bands. Uh, really, really nice lads, and, and and I've I've seen their development year on year for, f- for about five years now. So I've seen them since they were you know three and a half foot to five and a half foot. So yeah, it's, it's really nice. But yeah, so the, the children's band is something that's um, that's dear to me, not least to be able to spend time with people like. Richard Marshall and Matthew Routley, Gary Curtin. Um, so that's that's a really nice uh, nice time as well. Yeah, and you're um, speaking of things that you're doing. You know, um, you're also doing the International Brass Band Summer School in Swansea. What's what's that? You want to explain that to our listeners? Yeah, definitely. So that's run by Nick and Alison Child. Um, that's been going for, I want to say, maybe probably about 20 years. Uh, and it takes place in Swansea in South Wales. Uh, and the idea is that delegates can have um, uh, a mix between relaxation and, you know, I guess, musical education slash fun, if you like. So what usually happens each day is we have um, a band rehearsal, um, nine till 11. Um, the band, I should, I should say, the whole group is split into two. Uh, so while one band are rehearsing, the other have sectional, uh, and then they swap it around uh, after a break in the morning. And then the afternoon is your own. So you can go into Mumbles, get an ice cream, or walk along the beach, you know, play tennis, you know, just just, just relax, have a, have a lie down. Uh, and then the evening we have another rehearsal, uh, uh, followed by uh, a tutor's recital every night of the week. So uh, each tutor has to do a recital. So me and Richard do the cornet one the first night, and then it'll be the Gary, Gary and the other euphonium tutor, usually Dan Thomas, uh, or Dave Thornton on the second night. Uh, and then Brett Baker will do one on the trombone, Joe Cook and Matthew Routley. In fact, Matthew Routley doesn't play, but um, he, sort of, he sort of organizes it all. But yeah, it's it's a really nice event for the, the delegates to be able to come and uh, not, not, not yeah, enjoy it as a holiday, but also get some, you know, some, some real education and some, some tips from some of the, you know, the, the top brass band players around. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's quite, and it's enjoyable for the tutors as well because, you know, we also get to walk on the beach and go and have an ice cream down in the mumble. So yeah, it, it's a, it's a nice week. How, how many people participate, um, as, as the, the classes? Well, so on the the National Children's Band, for the Swiss Youth Band, I'm not sure because it's my first time, but on the National Children's Band, there would be about 60 or 70 children aging between uh, the age of 12 to about 15. Um, and then on the, the Swansea Summer School, there's up to about 120, Tony. There's, there's quite a lot. Um, and they they age between the age of 18, so you've got to be 18 to go on it, to... yeah. 80 and I'm not joking there's a lot of you know um, people that just just come down and meet friends and, and have, have, have gained relationships year on year um, and they come from all over the world I have to say uh, America Canada uh, I know that you know I know about six people from Canada coming coming this time um, uh, Switzerland Norway Japan we've had Australia so yeah they come from all over for this course it's uh, yeah it's a it's a lot of fun it reminds me a little bit of a, a summer thing that I do out in California where it's uh, brass chamber music each day. And 
and we fit in some time, like each, so each group is the coaches put them into like a chamber group each night. And we pick like seven or eight pieces for the group to sight read. And then they have some rehearsals and they have some breaks. And then in the evening, they have a performance that's like, you know, workshop based really, you know, it's really relaxed. Sometimes groups have to like stop and restart because they just got the music that morning. Um, but I think uh, popular is going, there's a baseball team nearby and they go out to, to watch a baseball game and it's right on the coast. Um, and so people will go fishing or people go hiking in the redwoods and it's like brass and fun and relaxation, all kind of, and it's the same yeah. thing. There are people who have been going there for years out in Humboldt County, California. It's just beautiful. And so there's, there are, um, you know, every year they get together and it's like, oh, how have you been? How are the kids? All that stuff. It's, it's lots of fun. So I was just thinking of that when you were saying that the, these kinds of camps are great. Well, one of the best nights that the delegates enjoy is the brassing concert night. So they replicate the brassing concert format, and I think the the band is split into three. So I think they have the 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 Queensbury Dykers, the Big House Blowers, and the Corey Corkers. Uh, and so one of the tutors will direct each band, uh, and, and they'll, they won't conduct; they'll sit and play. And one of the delegates can conduct. But there's like three pieces, and they put, can put some entertainment into it as well. So that that, that usually gives down a storm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, talking of trips away, I should say I, w- I went to France last weekend, and uh, I don't know if um, this slogan, but if Carlsberg did such and such, it'd be the best in the world, uh, has made it over to your side of the pond. But there's a really famous Carlsberg at beer advert. Um, and you know, it's last weekend was kind of you know if 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 Carlsberg did solo gigs, it'd be the best in the world. So I went, I flew to Bordeaux in France to to do a gig, uh, and the guy that owned the house had a swimming pool, so I spent more more time in the swimming pool and, <laughs> and, and, and sunbathing. Yeah, I, I did play it, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun. So, but yeah, so I mean, it's it's going to be a busy busy summer. I mean, um, compared to usual, I have to say it's uh, it's not it's, it's not too bad. I've got three courses this year. I've been known to sort of do three or four in a row sometimes, and that that can be quite tiring and yeah, tough on the the, the washing machine when you get back and have to do you know, three or four loads in one day. But yeah, they're, they're always a good laugh. So I think some, something. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Aaron. Sorry. Yeah. So you know, whenever we. Whenever we talk about like people who work with youth groups a lot of the time, which we all you know have in some capacity, um, I think we talk about like what the students get out. Uh, I think the the focus always con- kind of goes on what the students get out of working with a professional. You know, we kind of talk about that, but I, I kind of want to flip it, Tom, and ch- maybe chat a little bit about like what do you get? I mean, obviously, you know, there's the the billing and you know possible paychecks or whatever, but like I'm sure you get a lot out of working with students too. Yeah, I think it, it keeps me grounded. And, and I, I honestly don't think that I need anything to do that anyway because I've always been brought up to be to be humble and respectful. But it really, really does keep you grounded because these kids look up to you so much, Aaron. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe. Uh, and it's such a nice position to be in. And I remember being that age and, um, you know, seeing Philip McCann play or Richard Marshall or Matt Baker and all these. And it's like, whoa, they're like, they're gods. They're like, honestly, they are gods. But actually, we're not we're just normal people. So, it, you know, it really kind of just, you know, you know they, they, they love you and they want to be around you all the time. But it's just like, you just want to give so much back to them because that's the 
I guess that's the position that that, that, that we hold in, in the seats that we're in because people think we're something we're not. And um, it's really nice to work with these kids. Not all of them are like this, I have to say, though, because a lot, lot of them don't know who Adam from Eve is. So uh, that is also quite nice as well. But it, it's, yeah, for, for me, just seeing the kids progress uh, and improve year on year is the most the most humbling thing. And, you know, there's some teachers that don't want to, um, you know, release their their, their their top tips if you like and how to get better because they don't want them to get better than them and, and that's definitely not the case for me I, I love you know I teach at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama so um, I've probably got three or four students in the past that, that have been pushing me for my seat and I'm like yeah come on give me more because it helps me it keeps me moving forward as well so um, yeah I, I absolutely love teaching but um, yeah certainly the kids on the the children's band they're um, yeah they're a special bunch and actually you know think about it when you're 11 12 years old to spend away from a week away from your your family is quite a tough thing to do so um yeah there's obviously a care of duty that goes into it as well but it's it's it's, it's kind of um it's a heart uh a heartwarming week it really is if, I, if that's the way i can describe it yeah there is something to be said about that whole re- you know training your replacement situation <laughs> and you know i always feel like you know the star pitcher who has like you know that guy in triple a who he's been mentoring and all of a sudden that guy comes up and you're like oh wait wait a minute not like this <laughs> yeah, yeah no it's nice i mean the um the, i guess the the we've kind of got three really really talented players at Corey young players um my second man down Gareth Johnson um Hannah Plumridge on Repiano and uh, the fourth solo corner Owain uh Heston. they're all super players and we try and give them as much opportunity as possible to to do solos or um to sit in my seat I mean I think Hannah uh, she she deputizes for me when I'm not there and she was she was playing principal with Corey at the age of 20 years old 21 years old so like yeah it's really nice to be to be to give those opportunities because um, I had some amazing opportunities, but I certainly didn't sit principal corner at Black Dyke when Richard wasn't there. Um, as much as I'd have liked to, I'm seeing him actually, actually next week, so I'll I'll tell him that I'm not happy about that still. <laughs> yeah, thanks, um, thanks for nothing, pal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I had to move. I had to move to Corey because I couldn't get your seat. Yeah, <laughs> oh, they love no. that. <laughs> but it, but what's really nice as well is that um, although me and Richard, I guess I'm sort of diverting a little bit towards Richard. But although me and Richard are about eleven years difference in age, we're 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 really really close friends, and um and that's difficult when you transition from being a student to a, a you know a friend, and and it wasn't always like that. Of course, it comes with age, but and whatnot. But we're really really close now. I've, I've taught his daughter a number of times, a number of times. Um, we're playing golf at the Celtic Manor in in Card or just outside Newport rather in a couple of weeks' time, and you know having a night together and obviously a few other people with us as well but it's um yeah it's really nice when um when you get that because actually when you get on stage you just want to beat each other there's that really friendly rivalry but you know behind the stage you just can't wait to, to catch up and have, have fun and um yeah uh, uh, again i divert but the uh, the europeans um in uh where was it this this year where was the europeans amy sweden was it Sure. Yeah, 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 it was Sweden. Yeah, it was Sweden. Yes, you know, it was only a few months ago. No, <laughs> yeah. Um, on the Sunday before we all flew flew home, there was about ten uh, Black Dyke and ten Corey players all went for a big big dinner together. And it, like, it wasn't forced. It wasn't arranged. It was just like we met each other in in the in the street. Oh, fancy a bit of you go. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, so it's a, it's a really nice nice rivalry um, uh, between us, but also a great friendship. Yeah, it's starting to be uh, be a lot more well known about about the culture that the, the British brass bands live in now. Um, but can you talk to us a little bit about 
you know, on a personal level about how an individual assimilates themselves into the, into the culture, what their work work is, what their day job is, you know, how how somebody like you works in all of these teaching things on the side as well to playing with the band and what how that all works together. Well, I think it's a general rule. You've got to, if you want to play in the band, you, you've got to be three things. You've got to be the, the best in your seat. And this is for Corey, best in your seat, 100% committed and fit in. Um, so they're like the three golden rules that Phil follows. But within that, you've got to find a, a job which allows you to, to play with the band because we were away so often. Uh, so, for example, in the last couple of weeks, we've been to Sweden, uh, Switzerland. You know, that's, that's 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 two out of four weekends plus a concert either side. So, you know, you, you're going to be pretty busy, and you've got to first and foremost have a job that isn't weekend work because you know if you want to be a car salesman, for example, that isn't going to work. You're going to be working Saturday and Sunday, so that that's not ideal. But um, yeah, that, that's just the, the the rule that we have. But because we have students, we have uh, a lot of teachers, so they get holidays and this sort of le- a little le- bit of leeway if they need to leave earlier on a friday but um yeah pe- people just have to make it work um i mean personally when i first came down to cardiff i was working for admiral car insurance so i was on a on a, on a, te- a desk with a telephone taking inbound calls for people that wanted to insure the car um did that for five years uh and as as um uh as sort of the music grew over that time i i finished on on three days a week whereas i started on five so um yeah and now it's just a little bit of everything to be honest tony i gotta to do some teaching and um and obviously some playing um some workshops master classes and and uh yeah it's, it's kind of living the dream to a degree um because i get to play my corner uh most weekends and uh, and yeah, it's it's it, it's it's quite nice, you know. It's never going to make me 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 a millionaire for sure, but um, yeah, it's it's certainly something that uh, I always wanted to do, and I'm very I feel very fortunate and lucky to be in that situation. Yeah, I was talking to someone at the at the recent iTech uh, convention, International Tube Euphonium Conference, um, and he, I think the, the conversation was interesting because when I was going to school, you could go like down the line and almost everyone wanted to be a high school band director because in our minds, being a high school band director was like best you could have. You could do all of these things with a high school band. And he, he, I said, he, I knew that he was graduating and I said, so what are you up to? Are you applying to jobs? Like, what are you doing? And he said, yeah, I found some great elementary general music positions and I've applied to all of them. And, and he knew it. He knew that if he wanted to go out and he wanted to take all of these performances and he wanted to travel and he, he wanted to take these gigs, that elementary general music was, was going to be the job that let him teach during the day and then have that flexibility on the weekends because if you're a high school or middle school band director you have those concerts you have marching band you have pep band you have jazz band you have musicals you're going to be at the school but if you're elementary general music he figured he can be done on friday and come in on monday when when I worked at Admiral and Car Insurance, um, there was a big sales floor, um, and we used to have to work weekends. And quite often, I'd I'd have a clash. So almost oh, it felt like almost every week I'd be emailing the floor, uh, not knowing whether I could make the Corey concert at the weekend because I'd be praying that someone had swapped for me and I'd work their shift. And uh, yeah, that that became quite a, a chore. And I'd, I'd practice on my lunch breaks uh, in the meeting rooms and get chucked out while someone needed to use it or whatever. But yeah, it was just that uh, you, you've. I think um, what I realised 
masters that at college I always wanted to do, calling it really. I never I never thought I could be a um a great trumpet player because I, I wasn't really trained in it. But I had a chance of being a good cornet player, so that's kind of what I ran with. Um, and yeah, you you just do the best that you can to make by. Um, once COVID had uh, finished, because we were. Uh, lucky in the UK that anyone that was self-employed were, were given grants from the government so that helped me um, through that period but once that ended um, um, my girlfriend was sick of me playing golf so I had to get a job <laughs> so I worked for a bank for, for <laughs> three days a week um, uh, and I did that for a year and, and that just sort of while music got back going again um, that, uh, that 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 really helped so yeah anything to, to make ends meet as a musician really um, and you always keep the phone by your side I've noticed you might you might notice it went off earlier sorry about that that was um, that was our tuba player he's not ringing me to book me for any gig so yeah <laughs> to switch that one right off um but yeah you, you've just got to have your phone available take uh, lots of opportunities and, and probably all the opportunities that you get given um and uh and yeah the, the best piece of advice always i think you know the same is just let your plane do the talking and be a nice person and that'll get you much further um than, than yeah telling people what you can and can't do so what, what's your handicap uh well it was i, I was 15 the cornet, years, actually yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's it's 12 at the moment it's 12 at the moment i had a bad day yesterday oh. but i think i think that that was some some really valuable information it might be strange um to talk about um some of the side gigs that such a, a famous cornet player um an accomplished cornet player has but I think when I talk to college students um, and recent graduates, I hear the same thing quite a lot. And that is that, that they feel like success is going to come from having all of their income in music. And I, I will announce on the podcast that when I was saving up to go back to school, I cleaned fish tanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and that was, and there were times that I was, you know, like, like up to my elbow in like, you know, fish gunk. And I would just be like, no. I'm going back to school. And I think if they, are to, to, if they are looking to get a job just in music, it won't just be from one source. So they'll have you know, multiple sources that they'll, they'll be able to they'll, they'll learn yeah. from. Uh, and that's, that's really important. I think that um, for a musician, if something does go, then you've got the ability to, to cling on to, to the other stuff. And uh, I mean, in a brass band sort of terminology, remember the YBS band, they were sponsored by, by YBS Building Society. When they stopped sponsoring the band, the band pretty much folded and they've not done too much since. And um, and so, yeah, I think it's good to have lots of different sources of income. Um, I think what was, I, I learned when, I think it was when I was at the RNCM, there was like a there was like a seminar or something um and they said that the average musician has three sources of income and and that was a good thing because it's like a stool you know you can stand on three sources of income and then if if something happens then something you like still COVID? have right well covid <laughs> <laughs> but you know like if you but if if one of those gets taken away you still have two to lean on yeah. Um, yep. and, and then that gives you your time to figure things out. But if you only have like one or two and that leaves, then, ah, what's going on, you know? And I, and I think, I think you can also include, like, if you're one of those lucky few that have an orchestral job and a good contract in an orchestra, they supplement that with private students or okay. with university teaching or in investment banking or real estate. There's a lot of other things that they do with that just because even orchestras, as 
one of the more stable employment positions as a performer, sometimes they go on strike. Sometimes, you know, they cut your salary, you know, there's all sorts of reasons to, to diversify there as well. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with everything you said. I think it's um, yeah, it's something that I've that I've tried to do since since being self-employed because um, yeah, the, the things come and go, and um, yeah, I, I quite often don't know what's coming in from month to month. But um, but yeah, I guess what once the chops go, you become a percussionist, and then you pick up a stick and start conducting, right, Tony? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. There's not that much work there either. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell Phil you said that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't know you so well, I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> it's quite okay. So, so for a, for a topic change, we were talking about this before we before we pressed record, um, recording in progress, um, before we started. But you were talking a bit about the things in your in your background in your office um for for those of you who are listening on a podcast app he has he has lots of cool things in the in the background um and he even has these ancient things called cds and records i don't know what those what those are um but uh you want to explain like some of the things that are up in your wall because we're curious yeah, certainly. So, I mean, the records are for the the Sony five stack CD player over there, just on my, my shoulder, and it was my nan's. And I tell you, the sound is absolutely incredible. So, I, I just can't get rid of that. It's uh, it's 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 fantastic. It's got cassette player in it as well. It's brilliant. Um, but yeah, so I mean, um, as I said, my, my father was a trumpet player, and uh, he used to go to a lot of the um the sort of big band concerts in Sheffield when they came to the city hall with with my nan. Um, so we'd have these these programs and he'd wait for them at the stage door and, and basically get them signed. So I've got um, James I think okay, James Last up in the corner, that's signed in the middle. Woody Herman next to it, that's also signed. And then the two on the end, they're, they're, the, they're the same program, um, but one's signed and one isn't. Um, but um, yeah, it's signed, I think the other one rather is signed by the whole band. So Sonny Payne on drums and yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I've got a nice metronome on the top top left, which is uh, which was my my teacher, my first proper teacher, Roy Hartley. Um, his wife gave it to me when when he passed away. Uh, next to that is a little bottle of cognac I got from Bordeaux, so that won't last very long. And uh, <laughs> yeah, a few little uh, gifts. And, and in fact, the, the sort of the plaque in the middle. I'm not sure you can see that was a, a piece of wire from the demilitarized zone on the Korean border so i got that last summer yeah that's quite cool i got that yeah. given as a gift then um and it i looks think like you have is that tom brady's soccer ball there it looks uh, a little deflated uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the two signed sheffield wednesday balls are at the back but the latest little i'm not sure you can see that helen williams gave me this, this little cuddly toy uh she just crocheted so she gave it was the sheffield wednesday owl so she gave me that as the mascot of the wednesday fans but uh and then yeah i got a, a baseball glove and um yeah my auntie and uncle live in detroit now so um uh a few years ago we went we went to see well quite a long while ago we went to see um the yankees play at tigers um and when we were walking around the stadium this ball came over the fence and everyone scrambled but my uncle got there first and from inside the stadium people were shouting that Derek Jeter had hit it so my uncle obviously got there first gave it to me uh I got back home and I saw that baseball glove that my my, my stepdad had bought me when I was really young and it was a Derek Jeter replica that's why I you know, put the put Derek's ball in his replica glove so that's that's quite cool but um but yeah, and uh, I think the other probably thing uh, I should show you, which is quite nice, is this um, this painting here, which is done by a friend of mine in Norway, Shettle Harland. Uh, I met him at a concert. He's a brass band player, and um, 
I, I, we sort of share have a, have a shared interest in art and music, and we've kept in touch since. And uh, yeah, he he sends me all these beautiful paintings. I think I've got four now. Uh, and I send him Corey CDs. It seems like a great deal, to be honest. But this is a, a one that he did specifically for me, which is quite nice. But uh, but yeah, it's really nice to, to have collectibles and um, uh, and yeah, to be able to yeah, to, uh, look lucky to be in a position to receive um, some nice gifts from people as well. I just want to put this out here because we keep joking about the the records and CDs being old. I did market research for my doctorate that I just like published. Oh, doctorate. let's hear it. And um, in the um, that what we would call teenage demographics of so the 12 to 21. Mm -hmm. um, so they have n zero interest in a CD, but they have 2000% interest in an album. They, they are more, cause they're, they know they're going to stream it anyway. And they're also smart enough in the music industry now to know that streaming is not going to get the artist any money. So they will purchase, even if they don't have a record player, they will purchase a record to just have as an art piece and then never actually open the thing or play it. But they know that they're supporting the artists and they have this commemorative thing. And then they'll still stream it on, you know, Wobplay or Spotify or whatever they, you know, whatever they're going to use. So as an art piece, it's coming back. And uh, a lot of my high school kids actually have record players now, but they don't, they've never owned a CD player. So we're like in this weird loop. I have to say, Aaron, the other side of this wall in the hallway uh, are six records on the wall. <laughs> yeah, two singles, uh, four singles, and two uh, and two of the bigger ones. In, <laughs> in this closet right here are seven boxes of over a thousand CDs. Wow. Wait a minute, but you only can't, you've only got what you've got three solo albums. Is that correct? Tom? Are you talking to Tony or me? No, you. <laughs> I have zero solo albums. <laughs> I still play the tuba. <laughs> I, I have two, Aaron. I have two. I, so, yeah. I just got a I got a notification from the uh, from the people who put out my album that they will they are no longer making CDs. Like which is fine because I have boxes upon boxes of them in my basement because as we discovered, nobody buys them. <laughs> oh. I was like, I feel like I put it out right when like when some people were still buying them and then over the next few years, like it just declined so quickly. And so I have, I have some CDs cause I thought that it'd be useful to buy them. And then, uh, nobody's bought them. <laughs> I think we're in that strange transition where, um, you know, people will still buy CDs at concerts um, because, you know, the audience that we sort of play to is generally, not always, but generally of an older persuasion. But uh, we're, it's, it's kind of that weird, weird, weird point where I'm thinking, do I do another CD? I think I probably will. But um, um, yeah, in the, certainly in five or 10 years, I think there will be. Yeah. Well, thing in, I, I, I would be, I would love to see the, the market research on how many brass band cds are purchased by north america like british brass band cds so cory black dyke you know Foden's, all those groups how many of those are purchased by north americans because most people here don't know that wadplay exists and plus it's a subscription so if i want to get a good reference recording of my naba test piece i have to purchase a physical album from the uk get it shipped here from god knows where and then rip the thing because like digital distribution it seems like with uh classical music artists especially from the uk is uh, still a little bit behind in comparison to north america and so uh that being said uh your album uh this way is like yep where, that's where i tell every single person who picks up a cornet or a trumpet i'm like you this is the you gotta go listen to this there was a <laughs> uh, I, I, I to 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 uh you know 
I don't know, pontificate for a second. Um, we had, there was a, I, I can't remember the piece now, but it was a nice, pretty lyrical piece that was apparently uh, written for you or you commissioned or something. And I don't remember what it was at the uh, Canadian Brass Band Festival that I adjudicated, the solo festival. And I went up to the girl, she ended up winning. And I went up to the person who won it. And I was like, did you listen to Tom's recording of this? And she goes, yeah. And I was like, I could tell. Like, like you sound like what a cornet's supposed to sound like. Um, oh, thanks. Thank you. I think the piece that you're probably thinking of is Song of the Night Sky. Yep. Yeah, by Chris Bond. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think in, in a couple of years' time, as I said, I think CDs will be a, be a thing of the past. But it's, um, yeah, um, I think there's still time for one more, hopefully. I've seen <laughs> I've seen cards that like people you can sell at these events and it's a card that is like a download onto whatever you know and so I've seen some of those and I thought that that was really creative it was like you know a card with like a with one of the whatchamacallit codes I can't remember right now a QR code yeah QR there we code. go like a QR code and so you would buy the card and so you're still you still have something that they can that they can buy at the event because if you're if you're only selling online then you, you know you want to take advantage you're you're not taking advantage of that excitement of the live show that people want to to then go and buy the recording but we, we did we did this with World of Brass. So this is you get this is going to be uncanny as if I prepared this earlier. But yeah, we did this with World of Brass a few years ago with the um the, the Derek Bourgeois concerto. Okay. So World of Brass printed off um these sort of nice fancy download cards with the QR code on the back, and then you scan it. The only trouble was it worked on Android only or um mm. you know, or PC. So they um, I think they've actually got their their app um uh, finished now. So that's yeah obviously I, I, I'm not sure that the download will be necessary because they'll have the concerto on their streaming service anyway. But but, uh, um, but yeah, it's definitely moving forward, which is exciting. Um, and uh, and yeah, it, it, I should just get a couple of plugs in. I should say that uh, any so any solo CDs, Cornet particularly, that you want to buy, then um, I've got a shop called thecornetshop.com. You're talking about shipping to America, Aaron. I just shipped one the other day. So uh, it's sort of all your Cornet supplies. And, um, and and yeah, something to look out for uh, in the next couple of weeks is uh, a duet recording with Wilder Brass that I'm doing with Richard Marshall. So um, it's for their streaming service as a, a video and an audio um, as well. But um, yeah, it'd be really nice to to do that project with Richard. And uh, and yeah, it should be. A, and also the pianist, I should say, was my school friend as well. So it's uh, yeah, a really nice project to do. That's great. So I think we are just about out of time. Um, so I want to say it's been wonderful, um, having you on Tom. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me.